It truly is a victory, what I would call one of the victories of Jesus Christ that he gives to us is that he has revealed, I think, the true meaning and how we can gain understanding of the various things that we believe in, such as, as we began with, you know, being born again, and, and we've looked at different things uh, that Jesus himself explained. And my, my, my purpose in this is to look at what the Lord himself said about certain things. Last week, we looked at uh, what the Lord had to say about hell. And I tried to uh, make the distinction or show that the distinction that he made was uh, hell between the grave and then Gehenna. What's interesting is uh, one of the criticisms that I've heard frequently over the years is um, that Christianity seems to be very, very judgmental, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and that all we're interested in is, is you know, preaching people into hell. But the interesting thing is numbers don't lie. Uh, Gehenna, or the hell that Jesus, we looked at last week, was on, is only mentioned 12 times in the New Testament, 12 times, compared to Honeos, heaven, which is mentioned 273 times in the Bible, which tells me that God's interest and the Lord's interest in us is not that he can throw us into the pits of hell. His interest is to get us into heaven. And so this morning, that's what I would like to look at, if I won't just be popping this thing, um, I'd like to begin, and we'll be looking strictly throughout this, throughout the, the, the study part, of what Jesus had to say about heaven. Now, initially, I think I'm safe to say that, that most of humanity has always had some sort of idea, or at least a, a speculation, that there was life after death. Uh, that this life was not the end of life, but there was a life after death. And we would call that in the Christian faith eternal life. And eternal life was believed or at least hoped for by, by most, if not almost all of humanity. I have contended, I've contended for years that you have to learn how to be... Um, how not to believe in an afterlife. You have to learn it. You have to read certain people. You have to come to grips with the idea, and that's a, that's a learned behavior. And so if you read different philosophers or different people, skeptics and things like that, you'll read their works, but my point is you have to learn that. We don't have to learn, and humanity in the history of it, both oral and written tradition, has proven this. We don't have to learn that there is a desire and a belief and a yearning for a life after this life. We believe that that is the case. Uh, we live accordingly. Uh, other other uh, nations and, and in past history, they would, they would think that, that they could get to the afterlife uh, through worshiping the trees or worshiping the stones. So you've got Stonehenge. You've got different things that, that they would aspire to. And, and all of it, when you look at it, it, is actually very confusing. Now, one of the, one of the clearer 
examples of this was in the Greek writers, specifically Homer, uh, in his Odyssey, he mentioned uh, the fields of Elysium, all right, or the plains of Elysium. And it was thought to be, and as he, uh, as he captured it in, his, in the Odyssey that he wrote, it was a place where you would be rewarded. And if you were a valiant, if you were valiant, you'd be rewarded. You would uh, be able to be in a place where, as we were singing, there would be no more tears, there would be no suffering, you would be honored by the gods, etc., etc. Very similar to Valkyrie. Uh, in the in the Viking or in the uh, northern in the in the Northmans, uh, same thing. But my point is, everyone has an idea, but yet it's all confusing until Jesus Christ came and revealed some things to us. And the reason he was able to reveal things to us is because the scriptures declare that that's where he came from. He was not describing something that he was unfamiliar with. He was describing something that he was very familiar with because the Bible tells us that Jesus emptied himself. He did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but came in, him in the form of a man and he came and he lived among us to tell us how we can get to that place. Eternal life is one thing, but where we spend eternal life is another. And so that's what Jesus, I think, uh, reveals and talks about. And so I'm going to start sequentially from the time that he uh, began his ministry. Because here's what he began. Here's, here's the text. It says, Jesus, after he, after he came from being tempted in the wilderness, he began to preach and he began to say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven. Is at hand. Now that was a new concept. They had heard it from John the Baptist. Uh, he was preaching that. But when Jesus started preaching that, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now it's an interesting word there, this word preach uh, in this particular verse. It's a different word. It means to herald. It means to proclaim publicly. Uh, it means to reveal but more specifically, it is a herald from the king. And so what Jesus was actually doing was when he began to proclaim or declare, it was from God, his heavenly father. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when he began preaching and teaching this, uh, of course, questions came up by various ones. One particular series of of questions came from a man named Nicodemus very early on in, uh, in the ministry of Jesus. And of course, we looked at Nicodemus about when he said, well, how can a man be born again? But there was something else that Jesus told Nicodemus because Nicodemus was having a hard time sorting out and processing this idea of kingdom of heaven. They knew what the kingdom of Rome was. They knew the historical kingdom of Ahab and Ahaz and, and, and Solomon, and they knew those kingdoms. But what exactly do you mean by the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus had tried to explain to him by using, you know, earthly, everyday examples to explain, uh, you know, heavenly truths. And he told uh, Nicodemus, he said, you know, I've told you earthly things and still you have a hard time believing how will you believe if i begin to tell you of heavenly things 
So Jesus was very aware that the idea of a kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, was a new understanding. But for Jesus, it was very real. He did not speculate about it. The kingdom of heaven and heaven was the place where Jesus came from. He knew that that was the place where was his home from the beginning of time. In fact, we find instances where, first one instance is when Jesus was about to feed the multitude with five loaves and two fish. The first thing he did was the scriptures say he looked up to heaven. He looked up to where he knew that was. He blessed and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples. Then we find the same thing uh, when he's praying toward the end of his ministry and he's praying to God, his heavenly father, before he goes to the cross. And the scriptures say he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that I may glorify you. So the point is, is that Jesus was not unfamiliar with heaven. Now, a lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, we, 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 we see the word heavens and it can mean the atmosphere or the clouds or the, you know, all of that above. But Jesus was even more specific about heaven, that it is not just that which is above the earth. It is a place. And in that place, it is inhabited. In fact, here's the teachings sequentially that Jesus taught regarding heaven. In the Sermon on the Mount, we find this when he's teaching about don't be swearing, don't be using God's name in vain because he says, I swear, he says, I swear to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, because it is God's throne. That was not speculation to him. He knew it was God's throne. He had been there. He was there when they decided that he would come and save mankind. He also continued to say, let your light so shine before men that you, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And then he says, talking about prayer, he says, when you pray, go into your room, when you shut the door, pray to your Father who is in that secret place. Heaven is not discoverable by anyone at any time, anywhere. Heaven is not a credit card that you can apply for and get it and just use it when you want. It is a secret place. It is a place that, as we'll see, guarded by God. It is unique. It is that place where God resides. And, as Jesus says, the Father who sees you in secret will reward you in openly. And then he gives the example to his disciples because they were listening to him pray. And they said, well... Lord, teach us to pray. And here's how he, in this manner, therefore, pray this. He told the disciples, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven is a place where God resides. That's where his throne is. It's a place that Jesus Christ was very familiar with. That's why he looked back sometimes as we Think about that. We, we yearn, uh, we yearn, we, we look back uh, kind of backwards in our mind with our mind's eye about where we've come from, how we grew up, our home. And it, it, that's because we're familiar with that. And Jesus 
would look up to the heavens and he would pray to his Father in heaven because he was familiar with that. Heaven is also, according to Jesus, a place where whatever is, is, is uh, contributed to heaven is eternally safe. In fact, the scriptures say that it's that we should not be striving to have riches here on this earth. Jesus taught just the opposite. He says, lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So heaven, according to his knowledge and as he's explaining it, is, is safe. It's a safe place. Once it's in heaven, something is in heaven. Treasures your heart, your mind, once it's in heaven, it's safe. He also says that's where our rewards reside. We look for rewards and affirmation in this life, but they are fleeting, they change. Whereas he says, rejoice in being exceedingly glad because great is your reward in heaven. So whatever is, is in heaven is safe, and it will be ultimately given to us, as Paul said, I have finished my race, there is now laid up a crown for me. So heaven, according to Jesus, is where we'll really truly get our rewards. But more importantly, in heaven is the place of record. If you want to find something, we go to the county seat, correct? You look at the legal descriptions, etc., etc. Well, there is, there is a, a seat of accounting eternally, and it's in heaven. And this is what Jesus says. He says, don't rejoice at the good you do only in this life. But he said, rather, and he told his disciples this, he said, rather rejoice because your names are written down in heaven. It's a place that keeps the records. It also is a place that there are certain requirements. And as I was thinking about this, uh, especially the names written down in heaven, I, my, my first thought was what Job wrote or said. And, I, and then also uh, what the apostle said, I know in whom I have believed. Remember he writes that. I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Two important things about that. We know who we believe, but the more important thing is he knows, God knows, who has believed him. And so that's recorded in heaven. Jesus also teaches that there is this requirement of getting into heaven. Like I said, it's not... There is no, um, oh, what's the word? It escapes me, thankfully. Uh, entitlement. Yeah. We live in a, in a world of entitlement. Everyone thinks it's theirs by right. read an interesting thing. There was a, it was in the new, or it was in one of the papers I read. Uh, someone had gone in and ripped off uh, in a store. They were having a bunch of, ripped off the store and uh, they didn't know who it was. It was a lady and a, and a friend ripped off stuff in a store. She came back to the store and demanded that they give her her phone that she left in the store. 
That's how they got her, you know. Entitlement. Entitlement gets you nowhere. It certainly will not get us into heaven. The scripture says, unless our righteousness exceeds, this is what Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, in other words, you have to be more than just religious. He says, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible. It's not a right. It's not an entitlement. There's no license, but there is, there is requirements. Jesus then said, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. So heaven is that place where everything is rectified, it's, it's solidified, it's validated, and there is a confirmation if we want to get into heaven. We stand at the gate, we look, we want in, but we have no right to get in unless we have, been, unless we have fulfilled what Jesus has said. But one of the more important criterias of getting into heaven is something that we can do right now. Jesus says, unless we are converted or changed and become as little children in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, we become like little children, we will, he says, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Think of it this way. There's dress codes, not as, much as, not as much as there used to be, but there's dress codes there everywhere. In fact, I just read in the Senate where they, they changed the code, and you can wear sweatpants, and then two days later they changed it back. No, you can't wear sweatpants as a senator, et cetera, et cetera. All right? There's a dress code. Well, there's a dress code actually for heaven. Our heart, our mind, our soul, and our spirit has to be humble like a little child before we're allowed into heaven. That's what Jesus taught anyway. That's what he said, and it reveals it to us. Heaven is also a place where not only God is there, but the angels in heaven. That's where they are. I like the thought you know, you feel blessed when you read, be, be careful because you have angels that you might entertain unawares. But I always think about the angels who came. They came and they visited the shepherds. The angels came and took care of some of the Old Testament prophets. And the angels came and ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ when he was tempted in the, in the wilderness. And then also when he was tempted in the garden. The angels came from heaven and soothed him and ministered him. Heaven is their place. Jesus says, do not offend children. Do not offend little ones, he says, because in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. So heaven is, uh, is a place. It was very familiar to the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew it well. He knew what it was like. I think that when he came and lived among us, heaven was always in the forefront of his mind, that while he was here doing the task of his heavenly Father and what he wanted to do, which is to give his life for you and I, he knew that ultimately he was going to go back to the Father and reside and be there and wait on anyone and everyone, whosoever, to come to that place.
But then he says something very interesting, which is, I think, the next level that I want to deal with. Heaven, as I said, is mentioned over 200 times in the New Testament. But there is a word that uses, there is a statement that Jesus makes that has, I don't know, uh, allowed our minds to imagine. If we haven't, we should. When he was on the cross, hung between two thieves, one thief was critical of him and was begging for his power to be used to get them down off that cross. But the other thief chastised that other, the first thief. And he says, don't say that. We belong here, but this man does not. Then he turned to Jesus and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to plow some ground this morning about paradise, paradiso. It's only used three times in the New Testament. It's interesting. The word itself, what we call the etymology, the word itself is Persian. In other words, it's, um, it comes from that part of the world. A good way to think about it is the, uh, it was considered paradise, the hanging gardens of Babylon. The hanging gardens, something that had never been seen. When a Persian king, according to history, when a Persian king wished to do one of his subjects or someone that he wanted to reward or honor, he made him what was called a companion in his garden. And so it allowed him to invite this person in of a lesser, of a lesser level of life, invite him in, and they would walk through this garden with the king. Jesus uses that word, I think, specifically, because again, he gives us a, uh, an awareness of things that we don't understand. The word paradise or paradiso actually means, and it's used in different writings uh, of, of that period, as a, as a park, uh, a preserve, uh, it's enclosed, it's protected, it's well cared for, but it's sealed off, and not anyone and everyone is allowed into it, but it's called paradise. It was considered by the great kings of Persia and Assyria, is considered a, a garden where there is complete rest, calmness, beauty, paradise. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. I like that. Three things of what he said today, meaning there's not a waiting time. When we leave this life, I'm the firm belief that from the moment we take our last breath until we open our eyes and we find ourselves, as Jesus taught about the rich man and Lazarus, we find ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Paradise. Calm. Ease. In the book of Revelation, it gives us even a little more insight to that. John, this was revealed to John at the end of his life. One of the angels who was preaching and talking about the churches of Asia, 
says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Today, you'll be with me in paradise, with God, where the tree of life is. So, Paradisus, paradise. Jesus Christ has given us a victory and understanding that not only do we want eternal life, but he reveals to us where we will spend our eternal life. I like, and bear with me as I kind of begin to sense this down a little bit, I like the scriptures because they do give us guidance and instruction and they give us boundaries and things. But there are those, there are those few passages that actually reveal things to us that we don't know. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I don't know about death. I speculate. I wonder quite frequently, what was it like? What is it like? What happens? But I also speculate about heaven, God, His presence. What's it like? We have a, one passage, and it was a quotation from the Old Testament. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. And here's what he says. It, As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Paradise. Hard to believe, isn't it? Because we live in such a sketchy, gnarly world. But God actually has prepared paradise for us. And it was revealed to John. Book of Revelation. Let me just share some of the things. John was on the Isle of Patmos. He had lived his life. He had, been, he had suffered. He was the last disciple, apostle to live. Had written to the churches and was viewed as the father, one of the great fathers of the faith. But at the end of his life, he was chosen to see what God wanted him to see, what was waiting for all who trust and love God. And the scriptures say that all, John was there and he said all of a sudden, the heavens opened up, and I, John, was able to see. And he said, there I saw the throne of God. I saw people who were there, believers, multitudes of them who were before the throne. They, they weren't hungry. They didn't thirst. There was no heat where I saw. But I did see the Lamb our Savior Jesus Christ, in the midst of all these believers before the throne of God, shepherding them and leading them to the living fountains of water that I saw there. God had wiped away all their tears, John writes. There was no more death. There was no sorrow. There was no crying. There was no pain. Everything that I had known, John was thinking, was gone. For those that were in paradise. And then I saw John writes the glory of God. Light was like the most precious stone surrounding him. 
clear as crystal. And then I saw a great high wall in what I view was the city of God. The city of God. That's where paradise is. The city of God. I saw this high wall had 12 gates. And at each gate was an angel waiting to allow people to come in. The wall was huge. The city was massive. But yet there was no sun because the light of God lit everything. The construction of the wall, John writes, was of jasper. The city was like pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall, he said, were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. And he makes a list of them. Jasper, sapphire, emeralds, diamonds, amethyst, different things all along the foundation of that. I, John, saw this. I'm sure John had never seen anything like that before. And like what Paul wrote, Our eye and ear cannot comprehend what God has prepared for those who love Him. He says the twelve gates were huge and had twelve pearls on them and the angels were there. And he says, I looked at that and he said the street of the city was like pure gold, like transparent glass. And then John said, and then... He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and that one who sat on his right hand. And in the middle of its street, John writes, on either side was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. No, our eye and our ear cannot comprehend. But we do have a revelation as to what heaven is. Heaven, according to Jesus Christ, is paradise. And that paradise is for all, anyone and all, who comes to Him. So in closing... Jesus teaches us that heaven is not just a byword. It's not just something we talk about. It is a true, real destination. And in that destination, this is what we want. We want to see and be what John saw, what God has prepared for us. You know, I can imagine, uh, you know, that. All the believers are before the throne of God, and the Lord is in the middle of shepherding them. And each one, perhaps John heard this or not, I don't know, but I know Jesus talked about it. Each one, each believer that came to that throne, were going to hear two things. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of my kingdom. Paradise. So, how do we get there? My final scripture. How do we get there? I want to get there. Honestly, I'm sick and tired of the ugliness of this life. I'm not wanting to get first in line, but I'm not trying to get out of line. (laughs) 
but I'm tired of the ugliness and the very thought of paradise, paradisos, is so uplifting. It's better than counting sheep at night. You can go to sleep with that, I promise you. So how do we get there? Words of Jesus, primary source. You believe in God, believe in me. Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions, rooms, resting places, areas. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus says. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Today, Jesus said, I promise you, you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words that truly lift our hearts in a dark world. I pray, Lord, that we would rest well in what you've allowed us to understand. I thank you, Lord, for giving us these various victories through our Lord Jesus Christ that tells us truly what is taught and what is meant. I pray, Lord, that today, truly as the apostle wrote, our minds would be upon heavenly things and not the earthly things. Lift us and guide us, and we'll give you always our praise and thanks for it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand this morning and we'll sing one hymn as we think about it. And I think even sometimes during a call to commitment, the best commitment that you can make is within your mind and with your heart where you stand. You're welcome to come and pray at the altar if that's what you would like to do. There will be others come pray with you. But if you choose not to do that, I encourage you to pray where you are. Ask God to put your mind on heavenly things and think about them. And let that lift you up instead of everything else. As we sing, Brother Ed, what page? 552. 552. As we sing one verse, unless someone would like...